The kids are uh, dismissed, have to celebrate the incredible event we had here yesterday, the Easter egg hunt. Uh, rained indoors, but uh, maybe some of you are here this morning who were brought through that event to connect with us. But what a world-class uh, event that was for us uh, as a church, connecting with our community. Uh, just so thankful for Molly Master Polito's gifts of project management. Wow, world-class leadership there. Um, and the team, all of you who served, all of it. I mean, I've never seen so many happy kids in one place on a rainy day. Um, and so many eggs and prizes. It was, it was awesome. What a good lead-in to Palm Sunday, which is heralded and bracketed with the kids. We're going to see that. Uh, also, just want to say, and I'm going to remind you again at the end, uh, this is Holy Week. This is the week where we just try to have ways to help us lean into Jesus and follow the incredible last week of his life. So Monday, Thursday is a special service. Jeff Lample is going to be preaching at our uh, New London campus. You won't want to miss that. That is a special, powerful service that brings us into fellowship with the first Lord's Supper. Uh, that You will not regret it if you make room to, to be there. Uh, and then on Good Friday, in, instead of uh, just coming in and, and experiencing Stations of the Cross separately, we're going to experience it together corporately. Uh, with a powerful service. Um, uh, my favorite musicians are coming. My daughter and son-in-law are going to lead us. But, um, and that's okay for me to have favorites there, right? Um, but um, it's going to be just an impactful service. I always feel Good Friday. You want to grieve. You want to feel the, the atoning work of Christ. And we're going to give space to that. And it is friendly for child, uh, any child who can sit uh, for an hour in kindergarten or half hour in kindergarten, Man, they're going to come. They're going to be impacted. I remember a service like that I went to when I was about five and took my breath away. So encourage you to, to plan on that. And then, of course, uh, Easter Sunday. Amazing. Um, so uh, what a privilege we have to follow that. And, you know, I was thinking, like, um, 1,990 years ago, Jesus came into Jerusalem this way. Uh, if the Lord grants us the grace to be alive 10 years from now, we'll be celebrating the 2000th anniversary of that. Uh, and what a powerful reign um, and how his kingdom is spread around the world. And let's live in these next 10 years, if he grants us 10 years, so that that kingdom is really advanced in this church and through all our partners and through all the things that we can touch. Uh, we're gonna read this section of scripture announcing his reign. It just seems right to me that if you're able to stand, uh, if you'd like to stand for the reading of God's word, this is always the only perfect thing that is said from this platform <laughs> is when we read the word of God. And so beginning in Matthew 21, verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through uh, the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Worshipful pause. Go ahead and lead us from up there. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Please be seated. Let us pray. Father, we come just again to your perfect word. We are so thankful that you have spoken it, but also that you have brought this reign of Christ into our world for us to know and cherish. Lord, may he ride into our lives through your word preached this morning. Uh, And would you make yourself known to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last week of Jesus' life takes up a large portion of the Gospels. If you, were, if you or I were going to write a biography of someone and they lived uh, 33 years and they had an incredible three years of public ministry of which John said, the things Jesus did, if they were all written down, the libraries of the world cannot contain the books. And we wrote a biography of this person and we spent almost half of the biography or in some of the gospels a fifth of the biography or a fourth of the biography on the very last six days that person lived can you imagine how the new york times review of books would write about our biography (laughs) they would say this biography is completely distorted they only give us little information about all these formative years and major things they did and then they focus on the last six days Some have said the Gospels are not really biographies of Jesus, but they are passion narratives with little introductions. Because when we come to the last week of Jesus, and it's why this Holy Week is so important and the churches recognize it around the world, is that basically you can't understand anything about Jesus unless you look at him through the window of his passion and of these last days leading up to the passion and the cross. And yet this this entry, this commencement is unique because this is the throwdown moment of Jesus where he allows the full public declaration of who he is. Up till now, it's always been, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. 
Um, healing a leper and saying, don't tell anybody who I am. Uh, going to a Passover in John 7, and then actually John indicates that Jesus kind of sneaked away because they were seeking to kill him, and it was not yet his hour or his time. But here he is, now in the third year of his ministry, completing that three-year internship. By the way, a three-year internship with the likes of, of people who had no real leadership ability. I mean, Jesus didn't go you know, to, the, to the Ivy League business schools, whatever they were of the day, and find like the most incredible specimens of leadership for the most important task that the world has ever had. He didn't do that. It's almost like Jesus picked just the most ordinary person to basically say to all of us, to say, um, I can do this with anyone. <laughs> There is no one who receives the call to follow me who I cannot make and in the most incredible leader the world has known. Give me anyone. And, and, and so he has this group and now it's, it's his throwdown moment. Uh, somebody said, um, you know, Jesus didn't start his ministry until he's 30, so he must have been a millennial. He didn't care about doing anything with his life until he was 30 years old. <laughs> Sorry, millennials, I love you. I have kids that are millennials. <laughs> But, but seriously, he was in no hurry. Maybe this is something that's Christ-like about millennials. He was in no hurry, but now the time has come. And you know, all up until now, he's described his kingdom in terms that are a little frustrating to us dramatic action-oriented people. You know, he described his, his kingdom as, as yeast. Well, that's not very dramatic. Or as seeds, that's extremely undramatic. Or, or is the inbreaking of light? I mean, I, w- I want a tsunami. I want a tornado. I want an earthquake. I want something, you know, huge and dramatic. And, and now he's going to announce himself coming in to Jerusalem in this most incredible way. Uh, and he's announcing regime change in an oppressive, oppressive regime. The, the regime of the Romans basically invented crucifixion to suppress anyone who would get the idea that they were going to bring about regime change. Crucifixion was invented to be the ultimate public torture and deterrent of anyone who had an idea that Rome's regime needs to go. And here Jesus is basically coming, but he's not simply saying it to Rome, he's saying it to Satan and to his kingdom of darkness, saying, pack your bags, Satan, pack your bags, oppression, pack your bags, sin, there is a new regime coming. And yet he is not coming in exactly the way and the manner uh, and with the methods that we might seek after. And I wanna look at four things in our text. I wanna look at, at the children, the palm branches and cloaks, and the donkey, and then you. And, and I wanna first of all look at the children. And I wanna tell you, for all the years I've been a pastor and all the years preaching on this, as I was looking at these texts, I was kinda of baffled by the fact that while all the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they all focus on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, In the actual triumphal entry, and you can check this out on your own, in the actual triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the children are not mentioned, they do not appear. I was looking for them and I thought, how can that be? I mean, most of us, now they come in later, 
And they do sing the Hosanna, but they're not there for the initial opening. And if you, uh, if you, if you want to f- follow with me, um, if you'll put the words to this uh, old traditional hymn that we have, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. Um, the actual words, yeah. There we go. Um, for some reason, our technology failed us to humble us, right? <laughs> How many of you grew up singing this? Or know this? All right, well, let, then let's sing it. Let's sing it. You sing. of children made sweet hosannas ring you are the king of Israel and David's royal son who in the Lord's name coming the king and blessed one so I grew up singing that. To me, like, that's Palm Sunday. Thank you very much. You helped make this Palm Sunday for me. But, but so I'm looking through these texts, all four Gospels, and I'm not, finding any, I'm not finding it in any of the initial triumphant stories. You know the place where that occurs? It occurs after Jesus gets to the temple, after he's completing the ride. And, and because here's what's happened. Um, the, the adults staged this big demonstration of welcome to Jesus and, and they were bringing about these praises and, our, and, and it was later, hours later, that the children, impressed by the worship and example of the adults, were playing into the darkness of that day and they were echoing the, the singing of the parents. This may tell us something about how we touch the next generation not always just by their segmented classes, which I think is awesome, but we touch the next generation when they see us worship, when they hear us worship. But these children were basically, they were shouting out, and maybe they were doing it in the company of those who were not favorable to Jesus. They were singing the song. It was kind of like, you know, like children who weren't supposed to attend a dessert banquet showing up hours later with their chocolate mustaches and with their stashes of chocolate chip cookies in their pockets and, and basically all this incriminating evidence. They come out later and it was the authorities who were indignant that these children were singing. How could, how could this be? Would this not be offensive? And yet, I just think there's an echo here of the king's reign. You know, one of, one of my favorite verses that describes the second coming of Christ and his restoration is in Zechariah 8, 5. It's kind of a curious little verse. But it says that when the king comes and establishes his kingdom, he says the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. You can check that out. But I just think of that because I think like, there. do you know there is... Uh, you know, you can get um, noise canceling, you know, white noise to go to sleep by. Um, I sometimes listen to rain because we live near a, a busy road. But you know, I found that you can actually get hours of recordings of children playing to reduce anxiety. I haven't tried it yet, but I think it would work well. <laughs> uh, but, but this is a sign of the king. Children, the sound of children playing and and rejoicing and so they show up here 
And they show up here and they are impressing that, weak, that, that witness of Jesus. And they show up here as a fulfillment also of Psalm 8 when it says that from the, from the lips of infants, God has ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. <laughs> that basically this drives the enemy and, and the evil regimes and Satan himself more crazy than anything than to hear uh, the weakest most vulnerable elements of the world taking up the revolutionary uh, cry of, we want Jesus. <laughs> we want Jesus over this. You know, anything that drives Satan crazy, I want to adopt as a central practice, the praise and worship of children. And, and so it was so right that in Jesus coming into the world, the children, they are, they are elevated in importance. They are brought in the narrative and they're, they're kind of hidden from us until we come to the end. And, and basically, Matthew's saying, hey, you know who just couldn't stop singing about Jesus? Do you know who just could not stop speaking about him? It was the irrepressible faith in, in the youngest and most tenderest of hearts. Oh, that just makes me want to love Jesus more. He was the one, they, they, you know, they flocked to him. I, I love the G.K. Chesterton quote about children. He says, um, he, he says that we are not enough like children because he says children have an abounding vitality. He says they are in spirit so free that they want things to be repeated and unchanged. That's what's going on here. They're like, they're, they're like the kid on the swing set who says, do it again, dad. Dad, higher, higher. They're, they're saying, we are, cannot stop singing about this Jesus. Do it again. Uh, Chesterton says of God, he says, God has the eternal appetite of infancy. But he said, but we have grown old, uh, but our father is younger than we are. I love that. And so Jesus is rightly heralded by the children coming into the world. And, and those in power, religious, corrupt religious power brokers that Jesus came in in his inaugural reign to confront, uh, or the, the brute political force around him could not help but hear this message that basically said their days are numbered, the real king is come, the king who gives joy to the most vulnerable and the most innocent and who, who brings this joy on the earth. And, and that, is, that is why, friends, there are all of these portraits of Jesus coming in surrounded by the children, so many works of art that show Jesus coming in in this way. But the second thing I want you to note about this uh, occurrence is the palm branches. Now, you're gonna be handed little palms, and I always liked them as a kid, what I use them to whip my sisters with, and that's what they're good for. But you, you can actually find instructions how to you know, divide them and turn them into a cross. But it's really interesting when you read the Gospels, first of all, Jesus did not instruct them to lay down palms. And none of the Gospel writers mentioned the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even mention palms. But they are mentioned in John. And it's it, the palms, uh, though Jesus, as we're going to see, definitely chose the donkey. He, he didn't choose the palms. Now, um, the people brought out the palms because palms basically meant that you were honoring a conquering king. 
Uh, and so the people chose, uh, they're basically saying, okay, the match for the, the, the brutal, coercive um, power regime of Rome has come in Jesus. So John mentions it. And it's really curious that John also mentions palm branches somewhere else. Do you know where he mentions it? He mentions it when he comes to his, his portrait of heaven, the, the unveiling of Christ in Revelation 7. That's the other place palms occur. And in Revelation 7, uh, verse 9, and there's this slide. If I can come up, Revelation 7, 9 with the children, but it speaks of every, uh, look, a great crowd which no one was able to number out of all names, tribes, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb dressed in white robes and there were palm branches waving in victory. And, and so it's to show that Jesus comes in this conquering way, but this was, this was what the people did. Uh, but the people did also something else that is, is really a, an amazing thing when you think about it, is they laid down their cloaks. They laid down their outer tunics uh, in front of Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that, uh, of history that the first Queen Elizabeth um, had the, uh, the favor of Sir Walter Raleigh, who when she was coming through London, she, he was afraid she was gonna get her feet muddy. Uh, and so Sir Walter Raleigh quickly, like without thought, just took off his coat. And the queen is coming, and so he takes off his coat and he just like makes this dramatic gesture and lays it down and so the queen doesn't get her feet muddy. Uh, no wonder she, Sir Walter Raleigh was the favorite of Queen Elizabeth <laughs> for that reason. But can you think like, what an act, you know? I mean, but Sir Walter Raleigh probably had, you know, dozens of, co of coats and cloaks that he could choose from. This is a crowd of people who are saying that Jesus is so important, so precious, that they are showing we will lay down everything in allegiance to him. As they're laying down the palm branches in a oppressive regime of Rome, imagine the demonstration that is, as they're saying, save now, Hosanna. Behold the king, blessed is the king. And, and the children are joining in and then they're laying their cloaks and then they're laying down symbols of military might and victory. I mean, if, if this is not a safe place to do this, folks. Uh, and, and they are saying basically, there is nothing we will withhold from this king. He is, he is worthy of everything. We have selected the one in whom our total allegiance lies. What's really interesting is this day of Jesus' triumphal entry. You know, it wasn't the Jewish Sabbath. It was the, the 10th day of Nisan. And in Exodus 12, you know what the 10th day of Nisan was reserved for? It was the day not for voting for your king. And I don't think the people knew this, but I think it's kind of the beautiful backdrop. The, 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 this, this day of Nisan was the day in which families would choose their lamb. <laughs> They would choose the Passover lamb that they were going to bring with them that was going to be sacrificed for them. And, and so here Jesus is being, he is being set aside. He is being chosen as the one who is being heralded. And he's, he's coming to lead what appears to be a bloodless revolution because he is, he's going to come in peace. He's coming uh, as the, the one who rides in on a donkey, this lowly animal, but, but it's not going to be bloodless for him. It's going to be through the shedding of his blood and through the embracing 
of his cross that he comes. And so children are heralding, people are laying down their cloaks and their jackets, they're cutting palms, they're singing songs that reverberate through the entire day to welcome Jesus. And then, a part of this that absolutely was scripted by Jesus and scripted by the Old Testament prophets and forerunners, he's going to ride in on a donkey. This is a powerful symbol, but it was an absolutely recognized symbol of royalty. You may have heard preachers, I think I may have preached one long ago. Um, fortunately, I couldn't find those files, so I couldn't absolutely repent of this. Um, but I used to say like, well, Jesus completely confused everybody because he should have had like a Cadillac Escalade with the rims and spinners and everything going, you know, and he chose this little uh, like Nash Rambler, you know, kind of vehicle, you know, uh, the smallest little one that nobody was expecting. And um, that sounds really good and it does preach powerfully, but you know what? It's not biblical <laughs> because actually the donkey was, it was what Solomon rode into power on. Uh, in the book of Judges, there are 30 rulers that take possession of different territories and they rolled into their rule uh, over um, the, oh, by riding a donkey. Uh, and it was known in the ancient Near East, uh, documents of research show us that in 2600 BC, 2600 years before Jesus was born, um, it was, there are documents that say the right way for a king to ride into power is to ride in on a donkey. What it basically is saying is that um, the conquest has, has happened. I come in peace. There's no longer any war. Um, and I come in meekness. And Zechariah 9, verse 9 says that, behold, your king comes to you meek and riding on a donkey to, to show that Jesus is coming in the meekest ways. His, his conquering is happening. Uh, I think there's something to be said. Yes, in Revelation, he comes on the great white horse, conquering horse, but here he comes in, in lowliness, in accessibility for absolutely everyone. And there could not have been a better statement for Jesus to make that would have been completely understood, which is why when the people see Jesus coming on a donkey, they say, blessed is our king, behold our king. They get it. They say, this is a king who is coming for regime change, what we have all longed for, <laughs> this kind of regime change. This is what we've want, this is what we've yearned for, this is what we've, we've prayed for is this kind of regime change. And on this Palm Sunday, as we go to the Lord's Supper, I simply wanna ask you two questions. And that is, has his regime change come to your life? And secondly, how do you know his regime change has come to your life? Because to be a Christian, to be someone who knows Jesus, whose life is surrendered to him, who's not just a spectator, but who's personally received him, is, is to have a, your own personal Palm Sunday and to welcome Jesus riding into your life the same way he rode into Jerusalem. And the first way that we really welcome him and know that we've received him is by receiving him as the savior. That's this, this word Hosanna, which is difficult to translate, but that really is a word of both praise and saying, save us now. 
You know, God is so good that he is praised when we say, save me now. In fact, I would say, you can't even really begin to know him or to praise him until you say, save me now. And this Palm Sunday coming of Jesus is this recognition that Jesus had to come as our substitute. He had to come as the one to fulfill everything that needs to be fulfilled, and he had to come to die. This is what makes him come in such humility. It is this universal disarmament from one who has all power. He vacated all of those powers. He did not cling to his royal comforts and deity, but he emptied himself of all that. He comes with this incredible disarmament, exposing himself to all of this cruelty because it was necessary for our salvation. And to receive Jesus is to recognize that there is nothing that we can do in place of and instead of uh, simply receiving the full grace of Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. Our efforts to save ourselves actually are an affront to God who comes to save us the whole way. There is no cleaning ourselves up. There is no work of preparation There is no double check of our sincerity to come. The Bible simply says, whosoever will must come. Even if you thirst, if you will it, you come. There's no preparation. And that's what this this says. Jesus comes to ride into our lives. To not ask if we're ready, but to ride into our lives. Will we welcome him? I remember when we were about three children into chaos, we were three children into chaos, and homeschooling and uh, my wife was uh, pregnant with our fourth and absolutely incapacitated, even spent time in the hospital from dehydration from all of the ruckus our fourth child was already beginning to make in utero. Um, I came up with the brilliant kind of unilateral decision that this is what husbands do, just this is what unilateral thinking does, saying the, the thing we need is we are gonna hire a maid, we are gonna hire a housekeeper to come in temporarily and clean up what, I mean, it just looked like if robbers broke into our house, they would leave saying the place has already been ransacked, there's nothing here. That's basically the way it was because all the cleaning kind of fell on me. My wife was in the hospital, three children to manage, you know. I would, I would always tell this, I said, you have no idea how hard it is to manage a household. How dare you leave me alone with this? Um, and so we're gonna hire a maid. And I remember like, it, was, it was not a cheerful uh, unilateral proposal because my wife said, and some of you will understand this, she says, you're gonna stress me out more than ever because I'm gonna have to clean up first to get ready for the person who's gonna come clean. That's, that's just where things were. And you know, while that may be a a legitimate thing in terms of setting up a house and welcoming someone to come organize it, whatever, we have that thought spiritually often, do we not? I first need, I need to show God I really have done with that sin that I've relapsed in and ask him to forgive me for for the 650th time. I'm I'm gonna take a break from even talking to God until I can show him for at least the next 12 hours that I mean business, right? Have you ever been there? And, and the salvation that Jesus comes is better news than the news that we could make up. I mean, look, it would be good news if God said, show me 12 hours that you mean business and I'll forgive you. That would be incredibly gracious. We still couldn't do it, though. 
But he says, you cannot clean yourself up. I will ride into your life as I am unconditionally. And here's the reality. You either are on his atonement plan where he says, I atone for all your sins, or you can be on the self-atonement plan. And I will tell you, the self-atonement plan, it never works. It brings more condemnation, more guilt. His regime change will not come into your life with self-atonement plan. And so on this Palm Sunday, have you received his singular atonement and that unconditional surrender that says, save me now. Save me now. Jesus comes to us when we have nothing in hand, but nothing is often the hardest thing for us to receive, to come to a place of nothingness, to know that we only need Jesus. And then once you've come to Jesus and you allow him to take up residence and ride into your life in this unconditional way, um, you've got to let him take charge. You've got to let him rearrange the furniture of your life. Look, we know if, if, if you have a home and you've ever welcomed a relative in it, we know that after three days, it's time. 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 Because they just unwittingly start to rearrange our lives. We can stand it for three days, but we can't stand it in a permanent relationship. Jesus comes saying, if I move in, I'm going to rearrange more of the furniture. This is what he begins to do in Jerusalem. He moves into the temple. He can't stand that people are misrepresenting him, hijacking the exchange rate for the poor, putting obstacles across. So he's flipping tables. If you let him come into your life, you've got to let him flip tables. You've got to let him identify tables that maybe you wish you were seated at. And he says, not only are you not going to sit at that table, but I'm going to flip that table. I'm going to turn it upside down. We're talking regime change. We're talking laying down your cloaks and your resources. And here's the reality. We often want outer regime change of all of the things that bother us in the world, but we don't want his inner regime change. No, he says, I've got to come first inwardly. But it is equally a lie to say, I want his inward peace, I want his forgiveness, but I don't want to change anything in my life. That is also bogus. He comes in both ways as the one who comes into our life and says, I'm gonna work in a regime change, but then he also says, but I am also taking up the full right and authority for outer regime change because he's bringing a total regime change. He repurposes power and he will repurpose the resources and power of your life if you know him. It, it, it might involve the transforming of the power of who we pay attention to, where Jesus says to me, give your attention toward an unseen person who's never noticed and fix your gaze on that person, not the person you're immediately drawn to. Or it might be redirecting the power of, of my heart. It says, turn my emotional energy towards someone else's tears that I'm not as liable to hear or someone else's broken body that I'm not as likely to empathize with. Jesus says, this is the power repurpose. And you know what it is to repurpose. It's to take something that had one purpose and to give it a totally different design. It's the kind of thing Isaiah says. Weapons are gonna be melted down and repurposed to become plowshares. That which was used to destroy life with violence is going to be melted down and made into plowshares to feed and nourish the weak. And, and so Jesus' regime change comes, yes, unconditionally, but it also comes in a way that it will be seen. 
the power of your hands, using your gifts and creativity to lift up others, the power of your words, the power of your money, the power of your spiritual maturity, your education, your legal expertise, your woodworking expertise, your ability to bake brownies, that all of that is turned in directions of generosity and breaking boundaries that is because Jesus is at the control center. And that's how you know he's ridden into your life. All of a sudden, you are finding yourself turned in directions that you wouldn't have ever thought yourself in, but the one who comes meekly, the one who comes unconditionally, the one who comes worthy of your all has ridden into your life. As you think about those two things, what does Jesus want to rearrange? What does he want to fully move into my life in? We're going to come to the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite us to come and ask him, Lord, have your way with me. Where do you want to bring your regime change in my life? Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you that you come in this glorious way. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring forth a fresh communication of what you want from us. Because whatever you want from us is something ultimately that you want for us so that we look like Jesus in how he comes. We ask this in his name. Amen. It's my privilege to welcome you to the table of the Lord. This is not the table that belongs to any church or any institution. It is his table. And so the means of welcoming you are if Jesus is your Savior, your King, your Lord, uh, this is your table. It is meant for broken sinners. It is meant uh, to reestablish the forgiveness that is unchangingly offered by our God. And just to affirm that, uh, I want to invite you uh, to begin with a prayer of confession, a prayer of confession for our sins. And if you'd like to take these words upon your heart, uh, they're an indication of what it means to lay down your righteousness and seek his forgiveness. Let us pray. Forgive me my sins, O Lord, the sins of my present and the sins of my past, the sins of my soul and the sins of my body, the sins which I have done to please myself and the sins which I have done to please others. Forgive me my casual sins and my deliberate sins and those which I have labored so to hide that I have hidden them even from myself. Forgive me them, O Lord. Forgive them all for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. The news of our forgiveness comes because of what Christ has done. And I invite you, if you're able, to please stand. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, these 12 articles make up what is called the Apostles' Creed. Sometimes called that because there were 12 apostles. And each of them bring us startlingly good news about the God who has brought us forgiveness and grace. Believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead.
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. I give to you the words of institution. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, broken for the sins of the world, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of of the sins of many. He not only changed what was served, he changed what was said, saying that I am that Passover lamb. And if he is your Lord, he is your Passover into newness of life and forgiveness. And I invite you in the name of Jesus to come and to receive the fresh kiss of forgiveness from your God, the fresh embrace of God over your life as you come to the table. Um, here we will have the practice of the, the dipping of the bread into the cup and intinction. And over here we have gluten-free provision for those who need that with separate cups and bread. And so now if our servers would come forward. And as they do, let us pray, Lord, make these emblems the spiritual manifestation of real communion with you and reinforce the reign and claim of Christ upon our life. In his name we pray, amen.
So good to celebrate that he came. Are you glad he came? Nineteen hundred ninety years ago, rode into Jerusalem. And if you're new here, a visitor here, we'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, you can drop your Connect card in little boxes as you leave, and we'd love to follow up with you. Uh, if you already are part of the CLC family and you brought a financial gift, and again, we're so appreciative of those who give to keep the ministry here moving. Uh, you can drop that in there as well as any prayer request or anything else you have. And again, I just want to say this coming week is special. Uh, we do not have our usual Connect on Wednesday uh, because we want you to connect on Thursday, special Monday Thursday service. Again, uh, our pastor Jeff Lample is going to be preaching that special service with the Lord's Supper. So, I encourage you to put that in your day timer before you leave the parking lot. <laughs> and then uh, another special event: connect on Friday. You just we have to have somewhere to go with our faith and with our love for Jesus on Good Friday. And so, again, seven o'clock here, uh, special service of worship, time for reflection. 
kind of a singular station of the cross to worship, encourage you toward that. And then throughout this week, be thinking of who you might reach out to uh, and invite into some of the joy that we have. Uh, we want to see this place just overflowing from the balconies uh, and reaching all the people that we can possibly reach. So what a joy in this coming week we have. Lift up your hearts now to receive the blessing of God. Now may the God of peace make you like Jesus through and through, body, soul, and spirit. May he do this. Faithful is the one who calls us, and he will bring it to pass through Christ alone. Amen. Presence, all our fears are washed away. Are washed away.